Welcome to the Paragon Podcast, where we speak with local charities and changemakers to see how they're making a difference. I'm your host, Anthony Massimarini. Welcome back to the podcast. We happen to be seeing a theme of COVID-19 related initiatives on the podcast over the last, uh, I guess, few episodes. And my next guest is very much the same. Uh, he's approaching it from the perspective of supplying PPE. Uh, and with that, I'm going to introduce Mark, uh, the founder of McCann PPE. Right, thank you so much, Anthony, for having me. Yeah, so uh, my name is Mark, going to the fourth year at Ivy Business School. So just like everyone else, I lost my internship this summer due to COVID. Pretty disappointing. But then I thought if I could solve a problem uh, this summer, that'd be great. So I basically addressed the shortage of PPE. And now I source quality face masks from FDA registered and CE certified factory and distribute them here at a non-inflated price. Okay. So this wasn't an idea that came to you uh, right out of the gate. It took a couple months to come up with it, to figure it out and, and then eventually launch it. So what, what inspired the initiative and, and what brought you to think about this as a way to tackle COVID-19 issues? I think it was three main reasons. So there was high quality masks backing me, but people inflated the price. Or we have low quality masks at an affordable price. And then we got the worst of both worlds. We got the low quality and at a high price. And you can find that at gas stations, like $5, for, uh, I know it was five packs for $12. And that's so ridiculous. And then another factor was the bigger companies that were selling masks, uh, they didn't love the product they were working on. So they kind of treat it like a transaction. So as long as FDA uh, gave them a go on the filtration layer, they didn't care. They just slapped on the cheapest ear loops they could find, slapped on the cheapest uh, nose bridge they could find. So consumer confidence for masks go down. They're like, oh, it's not comfortable. I can't breathe in them. And then they hurt my ears. Those are the problems I, have, I, I really wanted to solve. And third, uh, shout out to my friends at Face Shield MD. Uh, they started this face shield thing. Uh, they 3D printed face shields and they donated them to retirement homes. And then that got me to think, maybe I can do something like that. Yeah, no, it's it's tough to see a need and then, you know, eventually act on it. But the fact that you identified it and, and had the motivation to get going, that that's pretty inspiring. So you talk a little bit about these these quality issues that uh, some of the PPE had that uh, was imported into the country. Can you talk a little bit more about how you chose your specific product, how you went about vetting the suppliers and what that process kind of looked like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I knew there was three problems for me. It's like why I wear a face mask. Uh, I wear glasses. So every time I breathe, my glasses would fog up. And secondly, the ear loops are super tight. They hurt my ears. And third, some of them I can breathe in them and some of them I can't breathe in them. So uh, what happened was I had a contact in China and then we paid him to visit around like 30 factories. And then he would send, send me samples of those factories. And once they arrived here, I would wear them for like a couple hours, feel um, how they would feel, and then write some feedback down. And then I would cut open the masks, feel the inside fabrics, feel every single layer and burn the layers. And then you get it uh, because they're made of plastics, right? So you can burn plastics and smell them. And once you get an understanding over burning 30 types of masks, you'll know what's an average and what's below the average and what's above the average. So from there on, we sourced uh, the best uh, Melbourne fabric I could find at that price. And then 
we address the issues of the fogging of the glasses by putting a metal nose bridge that would sit flush around your face. And then for ear loops, there was so many testing. We, it was either too loose or too tight, and we somehow found a sweet spot in the middle. And then to address the breathability issue, uh, we just had to get the filtration layer down by FDA. And then for other fabrics, we had some freedom to play with them. So eventually we found a combination that wouldn't stop you from inhaling air. It would just stop you if you were to cough and then uh, sneeze on people, like the projectile would get stopped. So yeah, uh, we were pretty happy with the results. Jeez, <laughs> I honestly did not know the process was that intensive. I mean, um, you told me it took two months. Yeah, I understand yeah. why it took two months. Yeah, it was like you had to learn to love the product if you want to sell it. Like you have to have the passion and the drive. So I was like, okay, companies don't love them. So right. no one's doing it. So I'll do it. So that's how I started. Holy. So I'm assuming once you figured out the mask that worked, you signed with that. You have one supplier? Yeah, yeah. I currently have one supplier. And the funny story was that supplier, I, it was a factory, right? And even, because I know I couldn't get it from a supplier, if I were to get another supplier, uh, the supplier would have taken a cost cut. They, they would have taken a cut and then I had to increase my prices. But no, I, like, I had to get it down to the manufacturer level. And the funny thing was uh, in that manufacturer, the person who supplied the Melbourne fabric machine was one of my dad's old business partners. So all of a sudden, I had a huge leverage over the factory. Yeah. So they can't never, yeah, they can never increase their price on me now. I can, I think like yesterday, I actually got the price down for like one cent. I know it's not significant, but it's pretty significant once the order stacks up. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a small world, I guess. Yeah, it is a small world. So you mentioned, obviously, you go to Ivy Business School, and that's how we know each other. Yeah. What lessons or what business practices or theories did you kind of bring to your experience in, in vetting some of these manufacturers? I'm sure there's some cases that uh, maybe come to mind. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Um, it wasn't any hard skills in particular from Ivy. It was more the practices and the thought process we did at Ivy. Because at Ivy, we were always taking the holistic approach at cases. It's like we thought about customers. We also thought about suppliers. And if our customer did this, what would the supplier think? So there was a lot of standing in other person's shoes and thinking, how would they think? And sometimes, for example, while I'm negotiating prices and then they leave me cold turkey for like a day, it's like, oh, you're probably bluffing at me. And then you're trying to drag it out. So I give in. But then I like turn around on them. I say something like, okay, uh, next order. I don't care. You can keep the prices as it is. But then for the bigger quantities, I'm going to go with another, another manufacturer if that's okay with you. That's like the skill that Ivy taught me is to sit down, think holistically, think what other people would think in your shoes. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what Ivy is for. That's awesome. It looks like it paid off. You guys are doing really well. I, pay off. <laughs> um, I guess speaking about how, how well you guys are doing, I kind of want to shift it over to, to impact. So last time we checked in, it was 24,000 masks. You just told me that it's a lot more than that now. So what is the count? <laughs> I think it's uh, a little bit under 100,000 now, I would say. That's just disposable, right? But we're also moving into uh, KN95s. I just thought, uh, I was talking to a teacher the other day and she was the finance director for a school. And she said the teachers are badgering her to get more protective equipment. So maybe now we're developing more towards KN95s. 
And uh, we're also moving into isolation gowns with long-term care homes. Hmm. So uh, it grew pretty big. It went from 24,000 to 100,000 in a span of like two weeks, I would say. Yeah, the orders just came flooding in. And I'm assuming a lot of your, your work is done in Ontario, but you're also expanding to BC, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, regarding BC, uh, my resident soft from Western, I've, I've been in touch with him for a long time. I was actually sending my resume over to him saying like, hey, can you check my resume? And then he was like, hey, what are you doing with this mask thing? And he's like, I want it. And I'm like, sure, uh, let's like, if you make money, we'll like split it or something. And then he said he's down. And then we just started expanding to BC. And now he is talking to a, the Catholic school board, I believe. Okay. So, yeah, probably more uh, expansion there. But in Ontario, I'm more focused on long-term care homes. So I'm, I'm just more focused on the elderly population. It's like, they're so vulnerable to this scary thing. It's like, I want to help them and uh, live their life to the fullest they can and cut costs for the long-term care homes. Like I, I save them 70% in terms of like mass costs. So they can, that can go somewhere else, right? Like better food, better um, community activities. And yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I cannot believe how quickly this picked up. And the fact that it's still accelerating is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. I was so scared I couldn't sell the inventory of 12,000 when I first got it in Canada. Yeah. But now it's like, I can't keep up. That's insane. So I want to cycle it back a bit because you mentioned that you were you were intending on completing an internship this summer. And I think that was the case for a lot of people. Yeah. But you took the initiative, you took the chance, and you started this, uh, this organization instead. So, you know, I know it sounds like a recruiting interview question, but what kind of skills do you think you've developed from this experience that you can ultimately transfer over into, into your career? Because I'm sure a lot of people are curious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in terms of skills, I would say uh, it's not just like hard skills, right? There's a lot of soft skills involved. Uh, I think my communication got so much better because I had to deal with the supplier side at the same time selling it to customers. It's like I had to work very carefully so that I'm not saying uh, my masks are cheap quality, but like they're just affordable. And sometimes people don't believe me when I tell them it's affordable. They think it's bad quality. Right. So things like that. And another skill, it wasn't, it's not as much of a skill as like a personal development. I think I definitely gained so much confidence like before i don't think i could have accomplished this but now it's like oh if you put your mind to it anything's actually possible and i would say another skill uh is delegating tasks and being able to trust someone else like in the vancouver side uh, you have to completely trust someone and also listen to people who are better than you it's like a lot of people have ego stopping them from becoming better but that's something else i learned it's like just suck it up there's someone smarter than you out there so just learn the idea listen to them Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and to kind of extend that, what tips do you have for others who are considering uh, starting their own initiatives during this time? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, tips for other people. I would say uh, definitely don't be too scared. It's like you got CSB backing you. <laughs> like that was my biggest thing. I had government, uh, the government just giving me like a couple thousand dollars over the summer. Like I had something to fall back on. Oh, and don't be very impatient when you reach out to clients they sometimes take a couple of days to reply. You have to understand that, uh, yes, your clients are important to you, but what are you to them? Like thinking other people's perspectives. They're so busy, so they might not be replying to your email, so don't keep badgering them. I think that was one of my biggest mistakes starting off. 
And just know that your income is going to be very sporadic. It's, it's so unpredictable. Like the day I really want to make some money, it's like, I can't, but then I might be out gardening. And then someone's like, can you send me 4,000 masks? It's like, just be patient, provide value to people's lives. Uh, stuff will come your way automatically. Yeah, no, it, like you said, it is, a, it is a process. Starting these kinds of initiatives takes a lot of work, as you've described. And it leads into this last point here. With the podcast, we like to title them a certain way. And, and the way we've decided to title this episode is, is Paragon of Resilience. Paragon being role model and obviously resilience being, being the trait that uh, you chose. So why is resilience so important to you? Why was this trait so important in your success? Yeah, I think resilience and perseverance uh, is so important in anyone's lives. It's like if you climb the mountain halfway and then you see the top being kind of far, it's like, are you going to turn back or are you going to keep going? So it's better to keep going. But then you have to know it's like sometimes you have to cut the loss. If you were to buy a stock and it falls to like negatives, don't, don't hold on to that. Um, but in terms of like starting a new venture, you have to know that in order to make money, sometimes you have to lose money. It's like bad things can happen, but if you were to push through, even in the most unfavorable times, you'll come out stronger than you were going into it. And then just know that even though sometimes you might be flatlining, if you uh, think back, it's like every day you're actually learning something new. It's like you're not flatlining, you're not wasting your time. Just keep pushing through and eventually you'll make something out of it. It's like there was no way I thought I could have sold 100,000 masks at this point. It's like I thought I couldn't even move 12,000. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's insane. I still can't believe the numbers, but yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense what you said. Resilience is, is so important, not only during these times, but just if you want to be ambitious and, and uh, ultimately achieve something, right? So with that, want to extend the opportunity for you to share any contact information so that people listening can support or potentially, you know, order masks from you guys. So uh, how can they connect with you? Yeah, I think the best way is just through a company email. It's very easy. It's info at uh, McCann, so M-A-C-A-N-I-N-C.com. Uh, we don't use a website. We don't have any type of, you, you can't just buy any masks online because we're trying to prevent people who are looking to flip a quick buck. That's going to defeat our purpose if people were just to buy our masks and then sell it at a higher price. Right. So our goal is to just get it to the end users and get it to the organization's and then the best way to support is um, I would really appreciate it if you uh, want to refer us to people or organizations that you know are in need of those masks so they can get high quality PPE without having them to worry about the cost to stay safe. Okay, awesome. Thanks again, Mark. So once again, you can follow, support, and learn more about McCann by emailing Mark at info at They do have an Instagram page, by the way. It's at McCannPPE. I think, Mark, you said you'll probably be starting or becoming more active on that uh, very soon. But thanks for tuning in. And remember, stay happy, stay hungry, stay humble. See you on the next one. You've been listening to the Paragon Podcast. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, subscribe or follow us on Instagram at paragon.podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.